Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft, coming out in May 2010. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, our show is about cloud computing, which I know very little about. And I'm so excited that we're going to be interviewing a wonderful attorney, Natalie Newman. And she happens to come from the firm of Proskauer. And we had um, Anthony Ancini on our show before, and he suggested that we speak with Natalie. He says she's really a techie. And I'm so thrilled. And, And actually, I have their book, uh, practicing from the law, practicing law institute, and the name of the book from their firm is Proskauer on Privacy: A Guide to Privacy and Data Security Law in the Information Age. And this law firm really has some wonderful attorneys working on privacy and data security. And I'm so excited to be interviewing Natalie Newman. Let me just tell you a little bit about her. She's an associate in the corporate department and a member of the intellectual property and privacy and data security groups with the firm and she's a resident in the new york office so she's going to be coming to us all the way from new york city prior to joining proscar she was an associate at thalen reed brown raisman and steiner and she has great information for us today so i'm very excited thank you so much natalie for coming all the way from new york city to join us well thank you for having me happy to be here today to talk to you guys yeah natalie so tell me how did you get to be such a techie (laughs) um i'm not sure i would technically technically, call myself um, a techie, Um, you know, but when you practice in the areas in which I practice, um, not just privacy and data security, but emerging in new technologies, the internet, software, intellectual property, e-commerce, digital marketing, new media, I mean, you really have to understand your clients' businesses and their products and their services and just practicing in this area and being so entrenched in this area and in our in our clients' industries. I mean, you really you really quickly become an expert in these areas. Kind of by osmosis, you have to learn what they're talking about. And yeah, say, it's, it's a necessity, definitely. Right. So I, and I adore the privacy blog that your firm has. Why don't you tell our audience about it and then they would be able to go visit it as well? Sure. Um, I, I happen to also really like the privacy blog. And, you know, it's, it's so funny because I'm constantly telling people 
clients, whoever I meet, that it's such an incredible resource. Um, and, you know, even for me on the inside as someone who helps to um, update it and submit postings to it, it, it's really an incredible resource for me in my practice. Um, but so the, the Proskauer Privacy Blog, it's available to the public, um, and it can be accessed through Proskauer's website, which I'm sure we'll give at some point during this show. We'll give it right now so we can repeat it again. Sure. Um, well, Proskauer's website, it's www.proskauer, P-O-P-R-O-S-K-A-U-E-R.com. Um, and you can access the privacy blog right from the website, or if you want to go directly to the privacy blog, you can access it at http colon backslash backslash privacylaw.proskauer.com. Um, but but it, it really it's a it's a great blog. Um, it's managed by Proskauer's Privacy Practice Group, um, which is also a great practice group, and that's a multidiscipline cross-department practice group. Um, consisting of both litigators and transactional attorneys like myself, um, and fr- from attorneys from all different offices all over the world. I mean, New York, D.C., Boston, Los Angeles. We have an office in Boca that has um, an expertise in this area as well. And even our Paris office um, practices in this area. Yeah, so, it's great because not only do you have you know, actual cases on there, but you even have things about uh, you know, about Facebook, and, I, you know, I, I look at it quite often, and I think it has terrific information. If you're interested in privacy or interested in reports or just about employee emails, you know, all sorts of aspects of privacy, it's just, it is a wonderful resource. No, definitely. And I, I actually also want to note that, so I am a member of the privacy group, but I'm also a member of another group, sort of niche group at Proskauer. It's called the Technology, Media, and Communications Practice Group. And it's, as you can imagine, it really overlaps a lot with the privacy and data security group. Um, and, you know, we really, like I mentioned before, get entrenched in, you know, new media and emerging technologies and all sorts of issues that arise out of that, like cloud computing, like we're talking about today, um, and Facebook and social networking and um, and all that stuff. So, Yeah, I know. I notice even large cable TV stuff. Definitely. I mean, there's just so much going on in technology, and it totally affects privacy in so many different arenas. But let's talk about cloud computing because I feel that I know so little. I read about it, and I don't even really understand what it's all about. So first of all, let's explain what is cloud computing. Okay. Um well, cloud computing is definitely, it's, it's the latest buzzword out there. Um, and a lot of people do talk about cloud computing and read about cloud computing without really knowing exactly what it is. So hopefully our, our, our talk today will help people sort of understand it from, you know, from a baseline. Um, but there are all sorts of definitions and interpretations being thrown around out there. Um, sort of literally interpreted, it's really, it's moving a company's computer activities and computing functionality into the internet, basically. Um, and it's, you know, it's moving, it's sort of divorcing the, um, the applications and the data from um, a need to be tied to an actual location and technology itself. And it's sort of just throwing it up into the clouds um, or the internet um, to, to provide, you know, a, a more dynamic, um, more scalable resource for companies. 
Um, there are a couple of definitions that I think are helpful um, and that I rely on a lot to explain to people when they ask me the same question. Um, there's a de definition that's promulgated by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, um, and they have a working definition that they revise periodically. I think it's on something like version 15 or version 16 now. Um, and yeah. they define cloud computing as a model for enabling convenient on-demand network access to a shared pool of configurable computer resources, networks, servers, storage applications, and services, all of which can be rapidly provisioned and released with minimal man management effort or service provider interaction. So it's really, um, you know, streamlining these processes for companies. So it seems like if you work for a company and you have cloud computing, anywhere you are in the world, you can access this easily. Exactly. Without it, it, having to go to, like, my computer. You know how, I mean, I know for me right now, if I'm away from the office, I can get in and see my whole computer by logging into that. But But I'm just a little guy. But this would be for people to get in and be able to use the entire network from wherever they are. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one thing that cloud computing can do for you. Um, another thing is, you know, just remote storage. Um, you know, there's so much data flying around the Internet, you know, user-generated content and, and mobile content. I mean, more people than ever are, you know, using the Internet and relying on the Internet for for everything that has to do with their business. Um, and, you know, it really, it, the, the interface between the end user, you know, between us and those applications and the software and the programs now, it, it's the Internet. You know, you don't have to log in to, you know, you don't have to be tied to a specific technology. You can really exactly access it wherever you have um, an Internet connection now. And so we, we could talk about the advantages, and then, of course, we're going to talk about the the worries and sure. the concerns about it as well. But um, so the advantage is being able to access it anywhere, having, you know, having not to worry about storage. How do we store all this? How do we back it up? Those are some of the advantages of cloud computing, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it really, because you're no longer um, tied to, you know, a specific amount of, of storage space on a server. Um, it really allows for, you know, massive scalability of data um, and, and transactions. Um, you know, your data can now be not just tied to one server, but can be spread across different servers. And like you said, there are some challenges and some and some concerns, real concerns with that. Um, but it really does provide an advantage. Um, another thing, as you can imagine, is um, cloud computing really it, it decreased costs for companies. Um, you know, being able to sort of, um, for lack of a better word, outsource, you know, your technology infrastructure, um, take it off, off location and off your property and no longer have to, you know, spend the money yourself maintaining it. Um, you know, updating it, dealing with issues. You know, it's it's a real cost decrease for companies, and that's a, a real benefit that companies are seeing by entering into cloud computing. Well, help me understand if you do if you're a company and you enter into cloud computing, who does manage it? Um, well, there's all sorts of different models, um, but they're essentially it's a service provider. It, it can be either. Um, a service provider that, you know, owns the servers and manages and updates the servers 
for you um, and sort of manages the network for you. Um, so you, as a company, you would enter into an agreement with, um, you know, what, what I would call a cloud vendor or cloud services vendor. Um, you can also um, enter into an agreement with um, a company that sort of aggregates together um, various third-party ap applications, you know, various software programs that your company may want to use. And instead of having to go um, to each company itself and enter into an agreement directly with that company, um, you know, you enter into agreement with an aggregator, and they sort of gather the resources for you and, and manage the network for you. I could see how that would be really great for small and medium-sized companies who can't afford to have an IT person that might be, you know, somebody would serve kind of in the in the role of an IT person, but they wouldn't have to be a, a real, um, you know, high-tech IT person um, controlling everything. They, it could be done maybe by some other manager. But what would be the role of the IT manager then, or would there be a need for a real IT person in a large company anymore? Oh, that's, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I see what you're saying. And, you know, it's interesting because that sort of, I mean, cloud computing, there's a lot of similarities with um, what one would call outsourcing. Um, and, you know, out, last time there was a big economic downturn. I mean, and even, even today, a lot of companies turn to and are still turning to outsourcing a lot of their major functionality to decrease costs um, and, and a lot of their workforce to decrease costs. Um, but but with cloud computing, I mean, yeah, there there is that there is that potential risk. But you're not completely um, throwing the entire system up and out of your hands. Um, you do need management on site um, it, to help that out. So you're not completely obviating the need for that on site. Um, it's really just more, you know, a factor of decreasing technology costs. Um, more than, you know, the IT personnel cost. So you're talking about hardware and software that you're decreasing that cost? Exactly. Yeah, I don't mean to sound so stupid, but I really, you know, I've read about this and I'm very confused. So that's why this is great for me. I'm sure people <laughs> who are listening are saying, I'm glad she asked that question because I don't know either. Oh, no, I mean, <laughs> no. I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm still learning more and more every day. I mean, that's sort of the great thing about being in this field. I mean, stuff is constantly changing. I mean, you're an expert one day, you know, and something new comes out and you have to learn it all sort of all over again. Um, but no, I mean, it's not, it's not a stupid question at all. It's, a, it's an important question. We're speaking with Natalie Newman, who is an associate in the corporate department and a member of the Intellectual Property and Privacy and Data Security Groups with this wonderful law firm out in, and she's in New York, with Proskauer. And um, they have a, they do a lot of work in the area of privacy and technology and media and communications, and especially Natalie, who's explaining to us about cloud computing. Natalie, let me ask you something here. I know there's a lot of different terms out there. Uh, for example, if you could explain some of those, let me start out with the ones like, what's the difference between public cloud and a private cloud? Sure. Um so a private cloud is where, you know, the infrastructure is, um, the, you know, the networking and the system infrastructure is actually situated completely um, within a company's proprietary firewalls um, and can really only be accessed by those from within the company that have access from within the firewalls. You had mentioned before, you know, being able to remotely access 
your firm's systems from home, you know, your email system, your work email system from home, um, you're accessing that through and, and from within a firewall. Um, you know, Joe Blow from the public won't be able to access that um, unless they have the specific access rights from within your firewall. Um, so the company, you know, owns or controls the servers of the networks um, and basically all aspects of the infrastructure in a private cloud um, and gets to decide, you know, who has access to it and, and what can be housed on it. Whereas a public cloud, that's a situation where the infrastructure is really not within a company's um, proprietary firewall, but it's rather it's available and open to the public, and it can be accessed by anyone with an Internet connection um, and anyone that has the appropriate access connect, uh, credentials. Um, a good example of this would be, which I, a lot of the listeners are probably familiar with, would be Google's Gmail service. Um, this is actually a cloud computing service um, where you know anyone uh, that has a Gmail account and an internet connection can can get into that service and access that. You don't have to um, be within a firewall or a VPN network, um, or virtual private network. Um, so. That's you know that's really the main difference between a private and a public cloud. So how do you get into a private cloud? Would that be how they do now? I mean, is that with passwords? Is it with biometric information? What is it that you would get in? Is it you know is there something special now that you've got this special private cloud? Well, it's it's really a, it's a password. I mean, I, I you know I liken it to and it's not exactly the same, but I liken it to you know being remo- being able to remotely access my firm's you know, document system from home. You know, I don't have to actually be sitting at my desk in my office um, doing it, but I can access it from home. Um, but, you know, my husband, on the other hand, you know, who doesn't have the appropriate access credentials, like a password or a username, and, you know, doesn't know how to get into the system as, as we're instructed to um, here, he wouldn't be able to. Um, but as opposed to Gmail, you know, if I have a Gmail account and my neighbor has a Gmail account, um, all, all we really, it, you know, it's, it's not like on, only those Google employees who can access Gmail. It's really open to the public, um, as opposed to, you know, my firm's document system is not open to the, open to the public. So when we talk about cloud computing, what, is it appropriate for all types of data? You know, what is it really appropriate for? Yeah, I mean, cloud, cloud computing, it, it's really, it's not really appropriate for all types of data or applications um, or functions. You know, they're not all best suited for cloud computing, as you can imagine. Um, one example is, you know, highly sensitive personal information, um, social security numbers, credit card numbers, um, health, you know, health information and medical information. That is probably not something you necessarily want to put into um, the cloud structure and definitely not into a public cloud structure, um, at least not without, you know, strict contractual and operational protections and um, not without, you know, a very careful analysis and determination by your company as to whether um, that's the type of thing you want to put into the cloud. Um, You know, another example of something that may not be best suited for cloud computing is, you know, a company's mission-critical systems or mission-critical applications that are, you know, absolutely core and essential to running their business, um, which need to, you know, have a guaranteed accessibility and usability on a 24-by-7 basis. Um, 
you know, because when you put something in the cloud, you lose a little bit of control um, over it. And, you know, it may, you know, the reliability and the accessibility, um, the guarantee on that lessens as you put that into the cloud. So, so you're talking about financial information, maybe intellectual property stuff or is that what you're talking about, too? Yeah. Um, for the highly sensitive information, financial information, um, because of the, the lack of control and some of the other risks, which, um, you know, we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, you may not want to put information like that, you know, on the cloud. Um, but for the example that I gave with, you know, mission-critical systems or mission-critical applications, you know, a, a software application that's really core to your business um, that, you know, you need to be able to access on a 24 by 7 basis. Um, it, you know, if you put that onto the cloud, the accessibility and the availability of that may not be guaranteed 100% um, or even 99%. Um, so that's the kind of thing that if you have something that you really need to access all the time and have it be up and running and available to you all the time, you may not want to, you know, give it up <laughs> to the cloud. Now, is that because... Um is that possibly going to change in the future as more and more technology um, ensures the accessibility of the cloud? I mean, it sounds like to me, I mean, if I if I heard that, I'd be kind of afraid to put anything up there that I really needed to have my staff work on. Well, it's, you know, it, if it's stuff that you need your staff to work on, you know, from any hour of the day, um, that you need to be accessible 100%, it, it may not be the best thing for the cloud. Yeah, I think as, as this develops more and more um, and, you know, trial and error, I, I think that, um, you know, the availability and accessibility of this stuff and the ability for these cloud providers, or these cloud services providers to, you know, offer to their customers um, increased availability and reliability, that, that will definitely increase over time. So really, what types of um, documents or what types of issues are really best for the cloud? You you mentioned Gmail. So that sounds like something, you know, for Google to do Gmail in the cloud makes sense for them, for the public cloud. Sure. So are you saying that right now the, the best things out there are the public cloud? Um, well, I wouldn't make the distinction, you know, as being best or not based on a public or a private cloud. Um, but I really, it really, I think, depends more on, um, you know, what kind of data you're trying to, you know, put on the cloud and what kind of applications. So, yeah, Gmail is a good example. Um, you know, G- Gmails or your email systems, um, you know, depending on what types of emails you're, you know, sending back and forth, that may be something, you know, in terms of storage on the cloud, that may be something that's that's better. Or, um, you know, document storage. If you just have, you know, massive amounts of documents or research, for example, you know, from years past, you don't necessarily need access to on a daily basis, but you need to store it somewhere. Um, and it's just, you know, a massive amount of, you know, digitally, electronically stored research that, you know, you don't want to have to go out and buy a whole nother server to store. I you can, see. you know, buy storage space on the Internet, basically, um, and, and store it there. So are there a lot of companies already out there really doing cloud computing? Are, are they doing that? I mean, I, I don't know of anybody personally 
who is doing it, but I'm not working with, or either that or they don't tell me, you know. Yeah, or or you don't realize that um, some of these services that are available are, in fact, you know, utilizing cloud computing infrastructure and cloud computing technology. Um, yeah, I mean, all, there are a lot of, you know, major technology companies, you know, Google, IBM, Amazon, Facebook, Yahoo, you know, they've been in, in involved in cloud computing for, um, you know, almost from the beginning. And um, lots of companies are, um, and lots of inv- individuals on an individual basis are um, being able to take advantage of cloud computing services. Um, we talked about Gmail um, as an example. Another example, or, you know, one of the most widely thrown around example is sales- Salesforce.com. Um, and that allows a company to store its customer sales data um, you know, basically on the internet in place of the customers storing that data on their own servers. Um, you know, another example is Flickr, um, which is a photo sharing site and a photo uploading site. Um, Google puts out a similar photo site um, called Picasa, and that allows, you know, you and me to upload our pictures from our cameras, store them on the internet, access them, you know, from wherever we have an internet connection, um, edit them, uh, make albums out of them, share them with friends. Um, so, you know, those those services are stuff that, you know, we may use on an everyday basis or our companies may use. Um, and they're actually, you know, based on cloud computing, infra- cloud computing infrastructure. Yeah, we just don't know it. I mean, we use it and we don't even realize the, the infrastructure underneath it. Because, right. yeah, so that's interesting. We are speaking with Natalie Newman, who is an attorney, and she's an associate in the corporate department, and she's also a member of the Intellectual Property and Privacy and Data Security Groups um, with Proscar in New York City, and she's coming to us all the way from New York City. And you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net, and I'm your host, Mari Frank, and you're listening to Privacy Piracy. So let me ask you again, Natalie, what, you know, what is this recent interest, uh, increased focus on cloud computing? If it's been happening behind the scenes and it's working well, what is the focus? Why are we like hearing that word all the time? What's going on? Sure. Um, well, I think, you know, as companies and, and individuals begin, begin to learn about it, you know, the term is being thrown around. People are saying, oh, cloud computing, you know, and, and as they hear it more and more, um, the, the focus is is turning more and more um, to it. There, there's been a lot of um, con- public concern, you know, from from the government and from companies and individuals, you know, consumers um, about you know you're putting all this um, stuff, you know, all of our documents and our materials and our content and our data, you know, we're putting it onto the cloud. Um, but you know, by doing that, we're inherently giving up control to it. Um, and, you know, what, what happens to the privacy of that data um, and the data security issues with that data. So there's been a, a really increased focus on privacy and data security issues with respect to cloud computing. Um, and that's, you know, what you'll see a lot uh, being addressed in, in the headlines and in news stories. It's really more, you know, the privacy and the data security issues. Well, let's kind of get into those a little bit more specifically. What are, we'll talk about the privacy first, and then we'll talk about the data security, because they are a little different. So what are some of the privacy concerns with, that are associated with cloud computing? 
Sure. Um, well, you know, as I mentioned before, you're you're losing control. I mean, it's similar to an outsourcing relationship or you know a relationship that you have with a vendor where you're 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 giving over control to that vendor or to that you know outsourcing vendor um, to a particular application or functionality or um, you know, database of data, for example. And, you know, the less control you yourself have over it, um, you know, the, the more risk and potential harm can come um, to to that data. Um, or, you may not know who's accessing it at the whoever is actually control. I mean, it depends on what the privacy policy of whoever is managing the cloud computing as well, right? Exactly. I mean, and that's one thing, you know, we're going to talk about a little bit, hopefully we have time to today, um, about things that companies can do to, you know, mitigate the risks because, you know, cloud computing, it's here to stay. There really are some great benefits for companies, and it's not without the risks and the concerns. Um but in order to really take advantage of the benefits, you know, you have to sort of accept some of the risks and find ways to mitigate them. Um, and one way to to address um, that risk and to mitigate the risk of, you know, loss of control um, is to exactly, I mean, examine the, the vendor's policies and their procedures with respect to privacy and data security. Um, and to really impose strict obligations onto them um, as if you still have the data, you know, in your possession yourself. You know, I wonder about this in terms of, of you know, the legal remedies, because if you're going to out, you're basically outsourcing. Sure. But the bottom line is, you know, even if you're outsourcing, you're going to be on the hook legally. Exactly. And so it's going to come back to bite you. So, are a lot of these are are many of these cloud computings are they outsourced in other countries are they being managed by other countries where we have even less control um, of what's going on or you know I mean that's a that's a really great question because that you know that's one of the things you you know when you're you really need to do your due diligence and find out um, you know the vendor itself may be a company that's located within your state. Um, within a certain state or, or within this country, but it may have servers, you know, scattered all across the world. Um, and, you know, that actually poses a, a privacy concern because, you know, if your data is being housed in servers all over the world, um, you know, what local laws is your data now subject to? Um, so that's something, you know, you definitely want to find out. And if it, if it you know, is a multinational um, issue, you know, you really want to assess what the applicable, you know, legal ramifications will be of that. Um, in some situations, it, it, re- it really may not matter. Uh, you may not be putting, you know, information on the cloud or content on the cloud that really would, you know, trigger any of those local laws. Um, but with respect to, you know, sensitive data and, and privacy issues, um, that's definitely, you know, cross-border um, privacy issues, that's that's definitely something that people are focusing on. You know, we would have law enforcement um, availability within, like you said, you know, within our country, but when you have to use other countries' law enforcement agencies, even if their law says that they can't do certain things, you know, we, we lose control over, 
uh, law enforcement as well when it's out of our country many times. So, you know, I mean, that that part of it uh, is worrisome. And when you talk about Gmail, Gmail being on cloud computing, some people put very sensitive data into their emails, even though you and I would tell them not to do that. Right. (laughs) But people do it anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's that's definitely an issue. And, you know, Gmail first started as sort of a, 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 you know, a private email, private lack for a better better word, but sort of a private um, consumer-based email um, system. But as Gmail has sort of developed, um, it's now becoming, you know, corporations are actually using Gmail as their corporate email system, um, which, as you can imagine, poses all, all sorts of issues um, for corporations. Um, and that's sort of a, a slow trend that we're seeing now. Um, and in fact, in 2009, um, in the fall of 2009, September, October, um, Google and Microsoft were both fighting for um, a multi-million contract with the city of Los Angeles to take over their um, the city's email system. And, um, you know, Google wanted to to implement the Gmail system, and Microsoft, um, you know, they are, they were also lobbying for the the same contract, but they were, you know, really pointing out, you know, all of the security risks and the privacy risks associated with that. And um, there was a lot of press about this then, and you know, some people from within the city of Los Angeles um, expressed concerns over, you know, the privacy of the city's data. Um, and, um, you know, ex- concerns over, you know, Google's data security measures um, and the protections they would have in place for, for that, you know, for the email and the content of the email that would be um, transferred and stored through that system. Um, ultimately, uh, the city did actually award that contract to Google. So, um, you know, the city's email system will be Gmail. And, you know, I'm, I haven't seen the contract between the city and Google, but I can imagine, you know, if I was representing the city, um, I would definitely be doing my due diligence, um, reviewing every, you know, possibly applicable privacy and data security policy and procedure um, that Google has in place, um, and, you know, imposing some pretty strict contractual obligations onto Google with respect to protecting the data and the content of those emails. But, you know, you really, you're you're seeing that more and more. You're seeing corporations using that more and more. You know, this is a perfect time to ask you, you know, for companies who are driving by, you know, even though we're situated on the university campus, we can be heard by all the businesses in, in Orange County, California. And I'm just wondering, what are some of the suggestions that you have? Obviously, they can, you know, go on your website and learn some more. But what are some of the specific uh, things that they should make sure um, are, are included in the contract when they do agree to do something like have Gmail be their company uh, email system? What are some of the most important uh, provisions that they should include to protect their the privacy and security of their uh, email of their email or whatever they're going to put up on their cloud computing. Sure, um, you know, depending on the sensitivity of the data 
that you know you, your company or, or you yourself. I mean, when you it's you yourself, you really don't have the leverage to be negotiating with Google. So we'll talk about you know yeah, as, a big as, company <laughs> as, as, a, as a big company. Um, but you know, if if it's sensitive data, um, you want Google to commit to um, or we'll, we'll talk instead of saying Google, you know, Just the cloud anybody. vendor, yeah. any yeah. vendor, yeah. Um, to, to commit to encryption or something close to encryption. Um, and not just to, you know, try to have the, you know, the ultimate protection for that data, but, you know, there are some legal obligations onto you um, to encrypt that data. For example, there are some state social security number laws that um, require you to encrypt social security numbers when they're sent off of, you know, transmitted off of your property or even when they're in storage. Um, and if it's credit card data, for example, um, the payment card industry, they have um, some data security standards that they impose that require encryption for credit card information. Um, so, if, you know, if you have a legal obligation onto yourself with respect to that data, you want to make sure to pass that through to the cloud vendor. Um, another thing you want to address in your contracts is you know, access management. You really want to limit access to your data and your content um, to those, you know, the cloud vendor employees that, um, you know, really have a need to know. Um, only the people that are really managing, you know, your project and managing your account. You don't want, you know, any, you know, employer or agent to be able to have access um, into, your, into your stuff. Um, you know, How about audit trails, that those who are in there, you would want to have an audit trail exactly. of who was there as well? Yeah, no, exactly. That's definitely something um, you want to try to, to, to get into the contract. And also um, your right to, um, you know, audit their systems and their facilities um, and their networks, you know, sort of on a periodic basis to make sure that everything that you've agreed to in the contract is, is being upheld um, and, you know, the level of data security that, that they've committed to, that the vendor's committed to, is, is being upheld. Um, you, want, you want to continually have the vendor, you know, commit to continually um, assessing, you know, ongoing security risks themselves through audit trails. Um, exactly. Um, you know, something else you may want to consider um, dealing with in your contracts with the vendors is, um, you know, having a provision in there that deals with third-party or governmental requests for data. You know, if there's a subpoena um, or, you know, any other sort of governmental request for data, you know, the government um, or the law enforcement may be able to get at that data or that content quicker than they would if um, it was, you know, housed or controlled directly by you. Um, so, you know, you want to have a, a requirement in there um, for the vendor to, you know, not disclose any information or data of yours until they've come to you first right. and given you the opportunity to, you know, get a protective order or some sort of similar measure. Right. You're, we're speaking right now with Natalie Newman, who is an associate attorney in the corporate department, and she's also a member of the Intellectual Property and Privacy and Data Security Group at Proskauer in New York City. And she is a she's learned to be a techie, even though she's a lawyer. And she is also talking to us about cloud computing, which has been something I've been reading out about. But I've I've been in the clouds, I think, <laughs> not really understanding everything that's going on. 
You know, with all the data security breaches, and we've had literally millions and millions of uh, data that has been, you know, acquired by unauthorized persons, you know, since we first heard about ChoicePoint back in 2005, and it's just, you know, continually. I am really concerned about the data security in cloud computing. What can you say about that? Well, you know, while there are, you know, increased concerns with respect to putting um, your data on the cloud or, you know, certain sensitive data on the cloud, some of the issues, especially with respect to data breaches, um, they're not that far apart from the issues that exist today with respect to, you know, giving access to um, your company's data to any vendor. Um, you know, as a transactional lawyer, um, anytime we have a client that comes to us and they're entering into a relationship with a service provider, um, and that relationship is going to involve somehow that services provider having access um, to the client's data um, or, you know, somehow um, transmitting it um, or transacting with that data, um, you know, there's always you know, contractual provisions and protections that we look to see in our clients' agreements with those vendors. Um, and with respect to data breaches, you know, if, you know, if you are having a consultant even, um, you know, analyze your, your data and it involves sensitive um, customer data, for example, um, you know, you want to have provisions in place and obligations on that consultant or the services provider um, to notify you immediately if something happens to the data, or even if they have a, you know, a reasonable basis to think that something happened to the data, you need to be notified immediately. Um, you know, so your incident response plan can be put into place immediately. And it's the same thing in, you know, in cloud computing. You impose that same obligation onto the cloud vendor. If, you know, there's any inkling of something that has happened to your data, you know, if the, the facility got broken into or, um, you know, something got stolen or through an audit trail you've noticed that an unauthorized person had access um, or potentially had access to your data, you know, you need to know immediately. Um, and you want to add other obligations like, you know, they need to be obligated to cooperate with you. Um, in your actions in dealing with that breach, um, and to the extent that you know it's not your fault as a company, and it was a breach or a compromise that happened on the watch of the services provider, or the vendor. You know, there's some um, financial responsibility that that vendor needs to step up to in terms indemnification, of exactly, yeah, indemnification. Yeah, indemnification. And you know, a lot of times in your typical contract, you would have an indemnification provision, but when you're dealing with um, you know, personal information or other sensitive data, um, you really want to be really clear and sort of step up that indemnification provision and have it speak specifically to data breach incidents. Right. Um, and that's really important to make sure that you have with your cloud vendor if, um, you know, sensitive data is going to be at issue. We are speaking with Natalie Newman, who is a an associate attorney with the law firm of Proskauer. You can find out more about her and all the great work she does and all the great work that the firm does at Proskauer.com. And I'm Mari Frank, the host of Privacy Piracy, and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. You know, Natalie, I was wondering about how the regulators are dealing with, you know, 
you know, I'm sure it's already on the radar of the FTC and the FCC. Let's talk a little bit about maybe some of the cases like, you know, Epic and FTC. Can you tell us a little bit what's going on? Sure. Um, Cloud computing is definitely on the radars of the FTC and the FCC. Um, There was the um, complaint from Epic to the FTC. Let's Uh, just explain. We've had people on from Epic. It's the Electronic Privacy Information Center. It's a nonprofit group out of uh, Washington, D.C., and they deal, and I've testified with them in Congress, actually. They've um, been on worrying about privacy for a long time on the Internet. So now, I'm sorry, I just wanted to make sure that people knew what Epic was. Oh, no, definitely. Um, thank you. Um, but there was a, a complaint that Epic wrote to the FTC, um, basically requesting the FTC to investigate the privacy and security risks associated with um, Google's cloud computing services. And the complaint, it it applied to um, the array of cloud computing services offered by Google, you know, not just Gmail, which we've been talking a lot about um, today, um, but, you know, Google's online document storage and editing services. It's called Google Docs um, and some of their other um, services as well. And, um, you know, Epic wanted the FTC to investigate basically what what security measures Google was really putting in place. Um, because Google's terms of service um, that governed those cloud computing services, basically it, it disclaimed all warranties and liability and responsibility whatsoever, um, you know, for any harm that may arise to its customers oh, goodness. out of those services. <laughs> yeah, um, I disclaim and, anything that we could do that to hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, so, you know, Epic, you know, wanted Google to revise these terms of service, take some more responsibility, and, you know, make its data security policies and procedures more transparent to consumers. Um, so, so that was the, the Epic complaint. Um, and actually, just last week, um, well, a, a few weeks ago, um, the FTC wrote a letter to the FCC um, basically letting the FCC know that, you know, as we all know, or we all may know, the FTC has been really focusing on um, privacy and data security issues lately, really making consumer privacy issues um, a a focus for them. Um, And um, so the FTC wrote a a letter to the FCC um, telling them that, you know, involved in their privacy discussions that they're going to be having and the focus that they're going to be having um, will be cloud computing um, and the, the data security issues associated with that. So it's definitely, you know, becoming a focus of the regulators. So did anything happen between FTC, the FTC and Epic? I mean, was there any kind of consent decree? Was there any agreement so you far? Know, I don't, I, I don't believe so. Um, I can get back to you on that. I, I okay. don't believe that anything more than that complaint happened, um, you know, with respect to the FTC um, actually instituting an investigation into, into Google. I, I don't believe that anything happened. What about the courts? We don't have a lot of time, but I'm wondering, um, have the courts begun to adjudicate cloud computing issues? They have. Um, there have been a couple cases. Um, one, and I, I know we don't have a lot of time, so I won't really get into them in detail, um, but one had to do with a video sharing service. Um, and the legal issues that were being adjudicated were um, copyright issues. The end users um, of this video sharing service had um, uploaded some 
copyrighted um, videos and um, that had infringed third-party copyrights. Was that the YouTube one? No. It was this, a different one? Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. no, this is, um, it was VO, it's V-E-O-H, um, that's the name of the video sharing um, service that was mm-hmm. sued. Um, and ultimately, the court found that they were protected under the Digital Millennium Copyright, the safe harbor um, that protects um, a lot of companies from infringing material that their end users upload. Right, because um, they, they didn't do it. They're just they're just showing it. They're just um, exactly. storing it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. What else? We have a little bit more time, so I, I didn't mean to scare you, though. <laughs> oh, no, that's okay. We have I, about, tend to, we have about I tend to talk a lot about things, so I want to make no, sure No, 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 you're giving us great information, so I, didn't, um, I wanted to give you some more time. So what other kind of cases are going on? Um, there was another case um, that involved Cartoon Network, and um, they had sued Cablevision, um, and this had to do with um, a remote DVR functionality that Cablevision um, was promulgating, and instead of storing the data at you know in in the person's home on their DVR box, um, the data when a person clicked to copy the data, it was stored remotely um, at the head end in a remote data center um, for the cable provider, and. Um, you know, the Cartoon Network, they looked at their affiliation agreement with the cable company, and the license in there didn't expressly allow the cable company to do that. Um, so this case was really a licensing issue um, and sort of brings to bear, you know, is another issue aside from privacy and data security issues with cloud computing. You know, if your company is is going to be, you know, for example, moving your IT operations, you know, as a whole onto the cloud, you know, and you have, for example, Microsoft Office as something that you've licensed and your company uses, you know, do you have the rights in your underlying license agreements to put that stuff on the cloud and to give it over to a third party to control? Without consent. Exactly. A lot of, you know, a lot of the you know, if you've negotiated your license agreement a while ago, you know, you may not have contemplated this type of thing right. um, or addressed it. So you really have to sort of think about, you know, all the stuff that you're thinking about putting on um, the cloud. Is there a license agreement applicable to it? And if so, what does that license agreement say? Um, are you allowed to do this? Um, Isn't that kind of transparency issue too and, and also like almost a deceptive practice that would come under the FTC, I mean, if they're going to be doing something that you don't know about, you didn't agree to it, and suddenly it's out there, and it subjects you to increased liability or increased uh, data uh, loss or privacy issues, I mean, it seems to me there is, you know, it's, there, there is that whole lack of transparency there. Definitely, and that's something that, you know, and that's really more for, you know, like the consumer privacy issues, the, the transparency in that area. The stuff with the licensing issues, that's really more about, unfortunately, licensing fees. You know, it's you're really exceeding the scope of your license, and so right. the licensor, you know, probably wants an additional licensing fee for that. Um, but even it, but it would affect the individual because... Your, your privacy policy might be addressing one thing, and it, it may not encompass the fact that now it's out on the cloud. Exactly. Yeah, with respect to, you know, pri- privacy and personal information, um, yeah, if, you're, you know, if your company is involved in, with, you know, customer data and you have a whole bunch of customer data that, you know, you're not going to um, store, you know, on a cloud, um, 
Yeah, does your privacy policy give you the rights to do that? Exactly. Um, so not only do you have to look at your license agreements if you're talking about you know, licensed content and licensed applications that you're putting on the cloud, but when you have individual you know, consumer data that you're going to put on the cloud, do you have the rights to do that? That's definitely something you need to look at. Wow. So are there new laws that are needed? I mean, with the technology changing as they are, are are our present laws really able to deal with this, or what new laws might be needed? Well, you know, my approach really, and it's one approach. I mean, there are many approaches to this, but I've always thought that the best approach is to, you know, if you can, try to take existing laws and apply them in new ways as the technology evolves. I mean, new technologies are just, are constantly developing and improving and changing so rapidly um, that if you're, you know, you're always trying to enact new laws to catch up with all the new technology and the changes, you really will never catch up with it. Um, you know, instead, one approach would be to, you know, examine existing laws and adapt the existing laws and the existing basic principles, you know, like copyright and the Digital Millennium Copyright um, Act, um, you know, those basic principles, um, you know, apply them to the new technologies and sort of create a, a new set of rules, a new set of guidelines for the new technology without really changing the basic laws and principles. Um, but it's interesting because just last week um, there was a, an article about Microsoft going to Congress and asking Congress to pass legislation um, to address all the new issues that are being proposed by cloud computing. Um, and they want it to be called the Cloud Computing Advancement Act. Um, and, and essentially what the act would do is sort of do what I'm saying um, should be done, is it would really you know, look at the existing laws and sort of modernize them. Um, but they're actually, you know, Microsoft is actually asking Congress to you know, pass a new law to do this. Well, so, we are going to have to go soon, so okay. we're going to have to catch up with you again because you are just... So filled with great information. So I want to thank you so much, Natalie Newman. You are terrific. We're going to send people to your website at proskauer, that's P-R-O-S-K-A-U-E-R.com. And also, we're going to send them to the blog that I know you're a part of. Privacy, it's http colon backslash backslash privacylaw.proskauer.com. Thank you so much. You have just really enlightened me quite a bit now, Natalie. So I'm going to count on you to come back again. How does that sound? That sounds great. Thank you for having me. Okay, bye-bye. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay, great. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, your host. Join us every Monday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. right here. And also visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Uh, please write us emails about what's important to you in the information age. Download our podcasts and see who's our upcoming guests. Thank you so much. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.
Hot sun on my face, wild dandelions all over the place. In my backyard, four cats are exploring while keeping the guard. I escape to the glistening green when I want to feel clean. Cause out here there's a feeling that's peaceful and A butterfly jumps, he flashes his colors and dances away. In my backyard, a garden of fragrances sweetens the day. When the world has been cold and confused, I can head for the trees. Oh, the trees, where my kitties and me feel like this is just where we should be. So this is where I love to feel the hot sun on my face. The sun will warm my bones and heart like a sweet embrace. The city will seem to be about a million miles away. And I absolutely wouldn't have it any Enchanted garden, I haven't a care. In my backyard, there's a rhythm of life beating in the air. It's a spot full of mischief, sun-kissed by a mystical king. And from way up on top, I can hear the church bells ring. So So